Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you, Justin? I'm doing very well. Matt, I was scratching my head today and I just couldn't think of anything to talk about. What do you, you know, is there something that you came up with? <laughs> Actually, I did. Um, nice. So yesterday I was talking to uh, Philip from our sister company, JKM Catalyst, uh-huh. um, and we were talking about coil tubing drilling um, and some of the challenges. And I thought, well, that's a different take on things that's probably worth talking about in a podcast episode. For sure. Well, the first question I have is, I mean, what is coil tubing? <laughs> so coil tubing, besides the fact that they're those giant trucks that can only go about 55 miles an hour on uh, divided highway or non-divided highways out in West Texas, <laughs> um, it's basically instead of pipe, you have a coil Makes sense of mm-hmm. tu- you know of tubing yeah that is actually wrapped around a big drum um, big skabool and uh, so the idea is there, there's no connections it's just you stick the you know assembly or tools on the very end of it and you unreel it to get down hole mm. um, and so uh, this helps with a number of things particularly it's it's a rigless option uh, for one so you don't have to have a, a drilling rig out there the other thing is that uh you can have you can even have a live well uh while you're working on it because um you're not making connections all the time right mm-hmm. um but it also means that you're always pumping through the whole spool right right so if i have a twenty thousand foot well even if i'm at five thousand feet i'm circulating through all five thousand feet of tubing right huh. yeah interesting you know it's funny i kind of thinking back um up north in Canada, there's a, there's a company called extreme drilling. Yeah. Um, they were, so when I was in Colorado, they had a number of conventional rigs and uh, one, a good buddy of mine actually was one of the uh, business development folks over there. And yeah, so extreme has a bunch of cold tubing up in Canada. So I know they use it quite a bit up there, but down here, uh, I haven't seen it. What, like, what would down here, what, what do you typically see? Like what kind of wells or like, why are they used, you know, other than like a, maybe a shallow well, but what, what do they use for normally so the two primary applications that immediately come off the top of my head one up in alaska they use it a ton for what you call like secondary targets right so you could sidetrack a motherboard um and on the cheap uh drill out a uh and and hit a secondary target and we call like brownfield development where you've you've already got most of the good stuff but you know there's a little bit left behind mm. all i gotta do is drill outside and, and i can pick up the rest um, since it's rigless, your spread costs are low. Um, so there's some advantages there down here in unconventional applications. A lot of it is actually frack plug drill outs. Um, cause if you think about it, it's kind of a perfect time. I don't have to go in with a rig. I've already done my frack job. I just show up a little bit later. And of course you got to mill out all these plugs and circulate all this stuff before you can bring the well online. Mm. Um, you know, there's always other things you can do, you know, there's self degrading materials and lots of other things people look at, but, um, um, milling out frack plugs is is a pretty common application uh, in in unconventional reservoirs, at least. Okay, and you know, I definitely want to touch on some of the different types of fluids and sort of maybe some things that go there. But just more operationally, I mean, are 
So are there mud tanks and mud pumps and all something similar you'd see on a regular rig or? It's just kind of think of everything sort of scaled down and worse. I um, <laughs> gotcha. So even when you get into chemicals, like a lot of times if we're going to use xanthan gum, we'll send it as a liquid uh, that's predispersed in a carrier because they just don't have much shear that mm-hmm. it's you can dump it into a tank as opposed to uh, having to have a hopper available um so just think of everything scaled down including your circulating volumes because let's say you're you know you're drilling out you've already got casing in place um and you're drilling a relatively small hole you know coil tubing typically maybe a maximum od of four inches and typically you're talking about an inch and a half two inches um mm. so it's very very small um, and you're typically, you know, if you have your five inch liner down there that you're sidetracking or drill deepening a well, um, you're not talking about a lot of volume that you'd need to circulate. Makes um, sense. So there, you can't do nearly as much. Um, and a lot of times the spread costs, everything is designed to be done fairly inexpensively. Um, and volumes are low. Gotcha. So what are some of the challenges we would face with, you know, using a coal tubing rig versus a regular drilling rig or a workover rig? Well, I, I, I mean, I think the biggest one to me is when we do drill outs and, and sometimes with, with side tracks, but particularly frack plug drill outs is you can't rotate and um, you have a very large annulus relative to the casing. Sure. So you don't get really good annular velocities. Uh, and then th- let's make it even more complicated. Uh, trying to get in a horizontal, how deep can I go? So I can't, I don't really apply weight on bit other than the BHA screwed to the end of it. Mm. Um, and so once you get away from the vertical, you're kind of coming in weak. Uh, so there are things called tractors that can help push, pull the coil further out. There's mm. other tools to help with it. Um, but that's the reason sometimes with these frack plug drill outs, they'll use what you call stick pipe, you know, real skinny, uh, pipe. But, um, a lot of the frack plug drill out operations I've been involved in, uh, you know, they might drill three plugs and then actually trip to the vertical, basically. So the BHA drags a lot of the debris they didn't get out oh, wow. into a vertical where we know hole cleaning is much easier. And then they'll go back down, and it can take a lot of rig time. No kidding. Um, so can you push the coil down, or would it then just buckle? It would probably buckle. Huh. Um, and bear in mind, not only that, but you can have the coil buckle in and of its own right, and that even limits further you know, your weight on bit and, and that sort of thing. Hmm. So um, it's... It's a fairly lightweight application. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk some, you know, drilling fluids then. What, you know, I guess depending on the the application and the scope of work, uh, you know, we've been talking about drilling out plugs. So what what do people typically use as a base fluid and what kind of additives would we use? I mean, for me, off the top of my head, I would think, you know, you're not really worried about uh, wellbore stability. It's more you know, cleaning the hole and cleaning the debris out of there, but you're limited on annular velocity. So therefore you need to pump sweeps or can you touch on what, you know, goes on there? So, I I mean, a lot of times we're doing this as cheap as possible. So it it, probably nine times out of 10, you're at least going to try and use produced water or something that's just sitting around. Um, Brine is not uncommon. And then with sweeps, as you've described of xanthan or, um, you know, there's some other polymers to try and see if that can't help. Um, We've talked about a lot of guys like HEC because it's cheap, but mm. it doesn't actually suspend anything. <laughs> we have a lab video on our website if you'd like to see what I mean. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I have been involved in, in full polymer systems, which I think kind of folks are re- reluctant about because coil tubing is all about pressure. The most expensive thing that you have is your coil. 
you have to circulate through all of it. And if you fail it, if you part it, if any of that happens, you got to replace the whole thing. Mm. Um, and that becomes very expensive in a cheap operation. No kidding. But, uh, you know, a polymer system, for example, it, because it cleans things better and puts you in laminar flow can actually lower your overall pressures and enhance your whole cleaning in some cases. And so a lot of the coil tubing fluids, when I'm actually drilling into an oil reservoir are kind of a xanthan type system, but you want to keep the PV as low as possible because it's all about pump pressures. Uh, um, and if you think about it, there's all these different ways this coil can fail. You know, I'm, I'm bending it every time I spool it up and spool it out. It's like, uh, the, the metaphor I've always heard is a paperclip, you okay, know? Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, pressure cycles, right? So I'm circulating at 6,000 PSI and then I stop pumping. And so you've got that where, you know, the coil can part, other things can happen. Uh, and so so there's a lot of instrumentation that's available to even like inspect the coil as it's unspooled every time to make sure that it's not ready to fail. Um, and so low plastic viscosity is typical, typical driver pump pressures are a limit because you're pumping through such a small space yeah. and trying to get as much flow as you can. Um, and so it's, it's just a little different, uh, from, from that perspective. I got you. So something that comes to mind for me, obviously, torque is not there but what about drag i mean do are there additives i mean obviously there's lubricants out there but is that common i mean do people have challenges with that well think about anytime you're trying to get weight on bit and minimize metal on metal contact because the coil is going to um the the, you know the coil can buckle and do these other things um so lubricants are are quite common Mm. um the thing is a lot of it is you think about drilling with with brine i'm not having great cleaning a lot of that friction is associated with solids and poor hole cleaning, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to why they might try and trip, trip up out of the hole and, and circulate some of this stuff out before they exceed a, a pressure limit or something like that. Gotcha. So, uh, like, it's, it's mainly, you've mentioned polymers quite a bit. I mean, why would you not then add, or like, because we're talking cheap, obviously gel's cheap, so why, why not go with, like, just a gel slurry or, like, gel sweeps? Well, in all likelihood, it's it's good. the driver's going to be that um, the plastic viscosity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is just what you're going to have to do is you have to slow down pumping so much to get the thing circulated down gotcha. that um, it's probably not going to work for you in the same way you'd hope. And a lot of the stuff is brine, where your your gel is not going to yield as readily. And basically, what is a tank with an agitator? Most most of the time you're lucky to have a hundred barrels on surface. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that brings a good point. You're talking about adding liquid additives. I mean, that'll disperse a lot easier than cutting sacks. Uh, and especially if you don't have that agitation, you're, it's going to be a lot of time wasted and money wasted because you probably get a bunch of settlement anyway. So I just thought, you know, just thinking about it, I would imagine having a bunch of buckets to mix would be a heck of a lot easier than, than trying to mix dry material. Certainly. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's not likely a mud engineer out there right? Unless it's a big operation or something like that. Um, it's, it's pretty foreign. It's the crew, yeah. you know, trying to mix something up and see how thick it gets or, you know, they're monitoring pressures and, you know, trying to get the job done based upon what they know. For sure. Um, what about solids control? I mean, obviously you're not drilling, you know, 20,000 feet, but I mean, obviously you need something to separate whatever's coming back, whether it's solids or downhole equipment or whatever. 
Is there like shakers and stuff or how does that? There can be. You'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> I, I've been involved where they'll send out a unit with a shaker and a settling tank. Um, I think a, a lot of it is driven by trying to come up with like a settling trough or, or something along those lines. Hmm. Um, but it's just funny because you go out there with like some good shakers and a, a serviceable system and people are like, wow, this is so different than what I'm used to. And I'm like, I don't know how you do this. <laughs> uh, no kidding. Yeah. Is it, are there as many as many people? I would imagine the amount of people in location is quite sm- like scaled right. down too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's it's lightweight, right? You drive in, you you rig up uh your coil, it's a few few folks um and they just get at it and then they move to the next one. Yeah. Um but these operations usually take a couple of days and they're very very low scale. Gotcha. Are these coils, I mean, they're some form of metal, I would imagine. Yeah. So are they susceptible to corrosion then too? Obviously, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's a really big thing. Actually, is is like I said, coil life is is really the make or break on the economics of some of of this, at least from the the provider, the service provider's perspective. Um, and so you have to think about um, corrosion mitigation. I mean, think about a flowing well or something like that. You could drill through it, but uh, you also are probably producing acid gas and other things that a separator would be dealing with. Mm-hmm. So, um, corrosion's a big deal. Um, there's an, a lot of the corrosion chemistry we've talked about in a previous episode still applies. Yeah. Um, and then even when you get out of the hole and, uh, you're done there, there's protocol to clean the coil, make sure that it's got a, a filmer on there or something. Uh, just because corrosion is such a big deal and you think about all the stresses that are put on this metal that you're giving it those little fractures for corrosion to plant a seed so quickly. Um, mm. So yeah, corrosion's, corrosion's a, a very big deal. And even the way, so it's, it's metal and a lot of, a lot of the, the way the coil is made is what you do is you have a big, long rectangle sheet of metal and it goes over kind of an extruder and is welded along a seam all the way down. Ah, and okay. so you have that, dislike like metallurgy which also can facilitate corrosion um so there there's all these different ways to to have a challenge there and, and that's probably where a lot of the chemical is utilized is lubricants and corrosion inhibitors and then you know maybe we get into something with uh you know polymer um if we're if we're doing something more advanced gotcha gotcha well i mean with regards to the fluid side of things it, it seems relatively simple and like you said there's you know normally uh you know, it's not a service job by that. I mean, you know, my engineers are going out doing mud checks. Uh, but again, if, if someone's out there who's who's maybe either going to be exposed to something like this, you know, are there certain properties we really need to key in on? I would imagine maybe pH controlling that. But other than like maintenance, what is there that we need to consider from the mud standpoint? I mean, they're not much, which is why there's usually not somebody out there. I'll say that most of the time when a mud engineer gets called out, it's because possibly. Um, you had a live well and they parted the coil or something like that. And now they've got to go mill it out or figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might be working with some really heavy brines, um, th- that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it gets expensive and they want to make sure there's somebody out there who understands fluids. Um, but it's, uh, it, you know, the stuff is pretty basic. The, the problem is, you know, managing your parameters. And so on some of the higher scope wells I've been involved in, some of these for deep water where we were going to work over something or drill a sidetrack. Um, and it was mainly just trying to make sense of what my pressures were going to be. So it was the hydraulics on the front end and the feasibility of, 
can I do this? And what are the risks um, on the planning side? But on the other side of it, you know, Munisher being out on, on a coil tubing job is, is pretty unlikely. However, I think um, they could bring a lot to the table if they were a- ever asked just by their understanding of corrosion mitigation and fluid properties, right. uh, especially if you're drilling a sidetrack to a reservoir. Um, we might, I, in the past, I've ever uh, used a Brookfield viscometer, which is uh, a much, much lower shear. So it, circulate, it rotates at 0.3 RPM oh, wow. um, to get very, very low shear, which is more likely what you're going to have. Of course. Um, and, and track that rheology for suspension uh, because you're really trying to thread the needle of, I don't want to add so much polymer that I have higher pump pressure, but I need enough that I'm actually getting cuttings away from. And if it's a sidetrack, you probably got a funky directional profile, which hurts cold clean. Yeah, sure. So, so uh, really the only other question that, that I'm curious about is if for some reason you do need density um, and there's, you know, a lack of mixing capabilities out there, do they a lot of times we're just going with like a weighted brine and, and, and do it that way? Or because I don't imagine you're you're using a, a weighted system like we would, you know, a regular type well. Right. I mean, it just couldn't handle the pump pressures. So right. it's typically a solids free fluid if you can pull it off. Um, gotcha. You know, and, and so in some of those like well killing operations, it's the only time I've heard of bringing zinc bromide out into West Texas was they needed like a 19 pound to kill the well. Mm. Um, and it's just brine and, you know, solids would wreak havoc on, on an annular space that small. Uh, so brine is typically the way to go if you need weight. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. Can't think of anything else. Any, any, is there anything you'd like for, uh, to, to relay to the listeners out there or anything that you might think someone might be curious about? I, mean, I, I think it's just a sort short and sweet, like worth yeah. knowing about if you know fluids sure. um, and have a little bit of background, there's going to be some day where hopefully somebody listening <laughs> um, you know, gets asked about this or, or encounters it. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was just some good information to share. Perfect. No, I like it. Well, if anyone out there is either on a job or who's got experience with cold tubing drilling and, and maybe, you know, some we didn't touch on again, we love the stories. We love the feedback. So, uh, click the link in the show notes for our email, uh, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, and with that being said, Matt, closing last words. Have a great day. And <laughs> likewise. All right. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.